come to midwifery with a heart of midwifery. Don't come to midwifery, oh, I'm going to make lots of money or whatever. Um, that's not it, you know. You've got to feel this to do it. Mm -hmm. And be able to be, I mean, for us to have the connection we have, you know, some people will go, what the heck's the CNM doing with an LM? Well, you know what? We have common ground. And yeah. I know that I can call you and you know, you can call me and we're here for each other. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey y'all, I am Jamara and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy Now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Hello, beloved listeners. This is Angie Love coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and I have a distinguished midwife here on our podcast. I'm so excited today to get started. Her name is Pam Pete. She's been a midwife forever. And uh, Pam, how else do you want to introduce yourself? Um, just that I'm really excited to do this with you, Angie. And, um, you know, let's just uh, clear the air. If you yeah. Will. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she does have her assistant on here, Simber. How are you involved in the birth world? Hi, Angie. Um, I assist Pam with home births in the area and also work as a doula and a childbirth educator. Okay, so you got a lot of experience you're bringing too. Yes, nice. ma'am. Okay, so Pam, um, how long would you say you've been a midwife? Um, well, licensed just over 20 years. I was a lay midwife for 20 years before that. But my journey actually started um, in the 50s when I lived in Costa Rica and I would go to birth with my housekeeper and her mother. Okay. And uh, that opened my eyes. Yeah. How old were you when you started doing that? Nine, I think. Nine or ten. Okay. So you've been seeing some good births since that age. Yeah. And then I came back to this country. And when I had my first one, I drank the Kool-Aid and had that baby in the hospital and went, no, <laughs> <laughs> not right. So, you know, we were a bunch of hippies and yeah. everybody questioned authority. Mm -hmm. And we started doing our own births all around the country. I mean, it's just so amazing to me that now with Facebook and everybody communicating, 
back then we didn't have any of that. And yet we were all doing the same thing. Yeah. Taking the power back. Yep. Fed up with the system that was done. Yeah. So you've been 40 years as a midwife. Um, What was birth like when you were in Costa Rica, nine or 10 years old, you were going to homes to little, yep. Little huts and houses and, you know, just late fifties were pretty antiquated then. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you remember like what kind of supplies or tools that the midwife took with her? You know, very, nothing like we have today, nothing at all. Not even stethoscopes, not even fetoscopes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty basic care. And mm-hmm. I don't remember ever one losing a baby or having to transfer. Okay. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it is when we say that now, right? But mm-hmm. back then it was just what they did. Yeah. Were you with an indigenous midwife there? She was Costa Rican. Um, so not indigenous, uh, but she and her mother had practiced. Her mother practiced for years and years with her, her mother. So it was a linear, you know, from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Cool. It was amazing. Okay. So tell me what it was like here before licensure became available um, for midwives, for direct entry midwives. You know, the thing is, is that it's almost two sides of the coin um, before a a license and after a license. Um, We just practiced really who knew where we were was people that went to the health centers, the healthcare centers or the chiropractors, you know, they would guide people to us. And, um, you know, we carried, I had a dear friend who was a nurse midwife and one day she shows up at my house with two Publix paper bags full of supplies for me, including my very first Doppler that looked like um, a rocket ship. <laughs> it, had, it had a separate base that was the speaker. And then the Doppler sat in that. And she just, you know, she, she had stuff in there that I would never even use today. But she said, I just want to feel like I've done what I could for you okay and she was practicing in the hospital at the time yeah she was and I don't even remember how I met her it just you know kismet or something like that really lady midwives are some cool people usually it's amazing because we're like uh separate from the mainstream of America and our realities and what we do mm-hmm. our lives better but yeah I was in an aerobics class a Zumba class and I um saw a woman that was very cheery and happy and had great energy and I'm like oh I love your energy and she's like you seem very familiar to me and I'm like yeah and she's like I'm like I don't know where I know you and she's like I don't either I'm like well I'm a midwife I don't know if that and she's like I am too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we just sought each other out in a zumba class love it how bizarre okay 
So how many children did you end up having yourself? I had three biological and then I had two um, stepchildren that I raised. Okay. Actually, the crazy thing is, is my stepson, I was part of Sunseed Food Co-op up in Cape Canaveral. And all the women that were there pretty much had home birth experiences. And so one day my dear friend had to run home to do something and she left her baby with us and the baby got fussy. So I just put him to my breast and he started nursing because I, I had a little one that was nursing at that point. Fast forward and he becomes my stepson. Wow. Okay. I never told that story because, you know, <laughs> boy. <laughs> well, those are called milk siblings. That's right. They've shared the same milk. And I remember when I was with my first and my second, but my first, I would pump at birth sometimes and I just leave milk there in the fridge. And if they were having trouble nursing, I'd be like, well, there's a little bit in your fridge if you want to give that. So I have shared my milk with many, many clients. I love, I love it. Yeah. Um, so after your first experience with the Kool-Aid in the hospital, um, how did your, <laughs> your second and third, you know, births go? You they were about? great. My girlfriends were, you know, with me and, um, I had, I was a single mom, so I really wanted to space my children apart. So I'd have time for each one. So there's eight years between my first two and five years between my second and my third, um, and things hadn't really changed yet. Obviously, we weren't licensed or allowed to be licensed, if you will. And um, we just, that's how we did it. We all had home births and took care of each other. Yeah. Did you ever have any pushback or problems that you want to share? In respect to what? Not having licensure available or... Well, the biggest one was if I had to transfer into the hospital and my clients knew not being licensed, I couldn't go in with them and be an advocate for them. So that was probably the biggest turning point for me that I want, because when you take a woman to the hospital and you've got to let her go and take herself in there by herself, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, this is a small area, so I couldn't really let myself be known like that and that was the that was the turning point when I decided okay I need to get a license so I we didn't we still weren't licensed here so I did all the prerequisites for nursing got accepted and my mother got cancer and I said I can't do this right now I got to take care of my mom so two years later voila the licensed midwife came into being and um, all the prerequisites I had, thank you, God, took me down to Miami-Dade College. And um, some women down there that had gotten their license, because we were open in the mid-80s, licensed midwifery came to be for a year and a half. Um, and some doctors decided, no way, Jose, and they got us shut back down. But the women that got into the program in the 80s um, were grandfathered in. So two of them went on to school, got their master's in what I don't know, but what that allowed them to do is set up a program for us to go into Miami-Dade and, and become licensed and um, 
what is that? You get a license and a degree. Yes, yes. I I knew about that Miami-Dade program. So that's where you got your degree from. Yep. First graduating class. Nice. How many were there? Maybe a dozen in this tiny little room. Okay. (laughs) I was the only one that had previous experience. And actually, I think I'm the only one that's still practicing today. Okay. Crazy. so you're the longest running um, direct entry midwife here in the state, probably. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So were you part of the original crew that got grandfathered in or that was, those were your teachers? Uh-huh. I, okay. I graduated in 96. Okay. So those were your teachers that got the program together. Oh, yeah. Justine Clegg. She's like uh a, a phenomenal woman that, you know, spearheaded the Miami-Dade. And I think now, in fact, she um, teaches with Jenny Joseph's programs, uh, some aspect of that. Okay. So how did life change once you got your license? Well, I was also a massage therapist because you got to make money. And if you're a lay midwife, you don't make money. Um, okay, I got to caveat here so at one point now I'm I got married and my husband says you know you really should start thinking about making some money because you are putting out a lot Mm -hmm. so I went to bed one night and thought what how much should I charge and I had this dream about the number guy on Sesame Street and he would go around writing numbers on everything number seven (laughs) well he wrote number seven and in the morning I woke up and I went, that's it, $700. So that's where I started. Okay. So I fast forward to getting a license. I'm still uh, practicing massage because how else are you going to, you know, make a living? I think it was like two weeks into it. People, women started coming to me and I was like, okay, I can let go of massage now. And because everybody pretty much knew me anyway in the area so that's how the ball started rolling and now it was sanctioned by the state and yep. your and your name could be on the birth certificate yes what a doozy because i to this day suck at doing certificates <laughs> i am so i we started out with a typewriter that's mm-hmm. how birth certificates and i know today even i'm still archaic but at least um it's a little bit better i'm not on a typewriter anymore yeah the typewriters were going when i started my practice here in vero still oh they didn't, good. yeah they didn't switch over to computer like where you could submit electronically at least for the out of hospital providers for a while i don't know if that was 2011 or 2012 but it's not been that long that they let us that they had a program they let the hospital people in but not in on yeah. us we were still typewriting it up i'm still i still do my uh birth certificates on the computer and put them through the copying machine with the you know that legal size paper mm-hmm. i've never got to where you are okay the submitting electronically yeah yeah well, I realized what a good thing that was, because if you make a mistake, you got to go there and fix it. I'm sure you know about that. No, I know you can, but I don't know how I need to get you on the side and figure that part out. 
<laughs> yeah, I misspelled. I misspelled Indy Atlantic. Oh, I put a T in the Atlantic part. Sounds like a T should go there, but apparently not. And so I had to drive all the way up to Merritt Island and fix it on their typewriter so that it could go in properly. Yeah. I, I am so bad that a few years ago, I, they knew me, you know, all the time. And so I go into the place and I said, you guys should have a wanted poster. on." on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, let's keep it light. And they're yeah. sweet. Those women are so nice. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So have you kept count or do you have an estimate of how many babies you think you've been with? Uh, I am not like you. I'm not a numbers person, but I know it's over a thousand. My daughter told me that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. 40 years. That's a long time. Well, and you see, when we were lay midwives, we weren't doing, you know, numbers every months you'd get maybe seven or eight births a, a year okay so that, you know I know it adds up over time but and yeah. now I'm I retired so I only take one client a month that's not exactly retired I did I say retired I'm semi-retired <laughs> oh <Sorry>. semi okay <laughs> I didn't hear the semi okay got it <laughs> but it's um, still you know yeah. you're on call your whole life still that's it that's yeah. it way of the world in your busiest time how many would you say you took a month um one year <laughs> we had four women due on the 9th of december and not one of them went on the 9th of december but so we averaged maybe five a month Okay. That's pretty steady. Yeah. That's keeping you busy. Yeah. That's when I didn't know what the heck day it was or mm. <laughs> where my phone is. I mean, yeah. what we did, how did we do it? I wonder without phones, first I got a charger or what the beeper, the beeper. Yeah. And, and I remember driving along and a woman beeps me and I'm looking for a payphone and I had to go to four payphones before I found one that worked so I could call her back. But I never missed a birth. You know, it just Holy Spirit provides. Yeah. Yeah. It somehow all works out, right? Yeah, exactly. And here we are with all this modern technology. Yeah. Now, when you say you've never missed a birth, of course, there's probably been some babies that have come fast before anybody could get there. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we're not counting those. Oh, okay. I, right. I had a lady uh, this year and her total amount of labor really was about 17 minutes. <laughs> Talk about precipitous. It was her fifth and she lives pretty close to me. I mean, within five minutes, but... Uh she didn't think really she was in labor. She called me to give me a heads up 17 minutes ahead of time. Like, Oh, you know, I'm having some stuff. They're not that strong. I'm like, Oh, do you think I should come? I don't think so. They're not that bad yet. I'm like, well, it is your fifth. I'll start getting dressed and head over. And then 17 minutes later, she calls me and has a baby. Yeah. Surprise. yeah. We have one client, Sember and I, that um, we were down in, uh, Melbourne Beach, deep, Melbourne, deep Beach. Melbourne Beach, and Sember had just left to go home, 
from this birth that we were at and the woman calls in serious labor. So in Rockledge. yeah, in Rockledge, mm-hmm. which is what, 40 minutes? I think so, yeah. Well, Sember got there before I did and slipped into home plate and caught the baby. Mm-hmm. That was her first catch. Crazy. And then her yeah. second was the same way. And she would never have contractions. She would just have this feeling of pushing. Mm-hmm. Isn't that it? Yeah, a lot of pressure. So two babies we missed with that lady. What are the odds? <laughs> yeah, well, sounds like she was pretty efficient. She was awesome. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's another plus that COVID has done. How many women have had to go back to work and leave their babies at home? Now, most of those women are at home. Mm -hmm. Get to to work from home. I love it. I'm so happy for that part of it. Yeah. So how would you say your practice changed going from unlicensed to licensed? Because I know that's like a big question, debate right now in the midwifery world. There's many states where they don't have licenses, direct entry midwives. And should we get it? Should we not? People debate back and forth. You have a little more freedom being unlicensed, right? So how would you say your your practice changed? Honestly, I'm really, I mean, I'm not disrespectful, but the laws weren't written by midwives. <laughs> mm-hmm, so, you know, in that respect, I, I think that too much power is given to it. And I know in reality, it needs to be there because that's the law. So did my practice change? Um, no. You don't practice, you don't change the way you practice. Mm-hmm. You just have this idea, okay, you know, ROM, X amount of time before, you know, contractions, and what that entails, and just things like that that you have to keep in the top of your head. Yeah. I also, on the bottom of my um, labor flow sheet, I have a uh, how many minutes we should do heart tones, how many minutes, you know, all of that. I have that written on my, just to be respectful of the law. Mm-hmm. And who, who does the law? Not the midwives, patriarchal cock-a-doo-doo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So would you say you've done some breach and twins in your career? Yeah. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. I did them unlicensed and licensed. Of course, the licensed ones were purely surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> how would you describe maybe midwifery changing in your lifetime? Because I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes. I am just, I mean, you see the amount of women that are getting woke, Um you know, they've either had births at the hospital and then realized, no, that's not how I want to go. I don't really, it sounds like you have your um, knowing of what's going on out in the different states. I understand that they don't want to be licensed because they don't want what we have as far as laws and rules governing them. So, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest change, the laws and rules. Yeah. 
And it's kind of like a double-edged sword because when, when you become legal, you don't have as much criminal persecution if things go wrong, right? Slightly more protection. You can still have malpractice stuff going on, but um, less criminal lawsuits. Um, But then you also have these rules that somebody made up and said, you got to practice this way. And if not, you're breaking the law and we can suspend your license or say you can never practice midwifery. So, right. Yeah, it's, it is, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, lots of times I will um, feel like I want to go back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can tell you from my research, the States that do have a legal pathway to becoming yeah. a direct entry midwife, um, have a lot more midwives. Interesting that you know about that we know about. And I, I researched them. I mean, there might not all be on the internet. So I think that like, as far as the numbers of people getting access to community birth legalization is a good thing, That's you know, good. and in States where it's not legal, could be illegal or it could be illegal, like falling in that gray area more people are afraid of becoming midwives, you mm. know, because of possible persecution or because, you know, they might not be making that kind of money. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's, is an interesting dichotomy, if you will. Yeah. And I've always, you know, been interested by the law too, because I truly believe in client autonomy you know this is their body they should be able to make the choices of the things that go in their body and when the choices come up they should be the ones making them you know so I truly believe that but then you come into situations where the law says you have to do this yeah you know and if a midwife supports the woman in her choice she's breaking the law but if mm. she goes by the law, then she's breaking that autonomy of what the woman wants, Yeah, you know? So it's like this ethical dilemma that licensed midwives in this state and other states are facing. Like, I'd love to attend this breach birth with you um, and knowing that you want this and this is your choice. But if I do this, my license could get suspended or revoked. And that's also going to impact all the women down the line that I would be at their birth. Right. Yeah. Except you can do it. And and this is just me in my naive way. If birth is imminent and you arrive before the baby or babies come, you have to call 911 as your backup, but you can do the birth. Is that your understanding? Well, you don't practice under my law, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. I know that, um, yeah, so I know that that happens and I've heard stories about these, you know, surprise breaches and, you know, I've also seen situations where if the birth did, if the birth goes well, who cares, right? No one's interested. Exactly. (laughs) And if the birth doesn't go well, then family members may give a report to the media. You know what I mean? Like it can really blow up in everybody's faces. They didn't call 911 quick enough or, you know, so it's, it's a situation where you need to have everybody really on board of what's going on. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you, the woman could be totally on board and she has a grumpy husband who doesn't like home birth and midwives and, you know, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's, 
<laughs> it makes me shiver. It's an interesting profession we have and our ethical dilemmas that we go through. Um, I took care of a surrogate a while back and a lot of um, her desires were different than the desires of the intended parents that were going to be the ones having this child. So, you know, tons of ethical. To have the home birth. Both of them. Oh, good. Everyone wanted that. Yeah. So ethical dilemmas day in and day out that we got to wrestle with. It's definitely not the easiest profession that you chose. No, (laughs) but I didn't even look at it like that or, you know, consider that or the least the laws and all that stuff. Just stay in my little lane and do what I can the best that I can for my women and hope Mm -hmm. everything turns out right because we don't know. Mm -hmm. It could be the most wonderful uh, birth and something happens at the end that you didn't even see coming. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so do you have any advice that you think you'd like to give to a person considering becoming a midwife? Make sure it's your passion because this is not a profession to enter lightly. It, it can consume you if you let it. So have uh, healthy boundaries for yourself and just enjoy the ride. It's been awesome, Angie. I just gives me goosebumps just thinking about how before we came on the air, you know, I was thinking about the past and what had happened and what didn't happen. And it's just remarkable we have the choice to do with our bodies what we want and over and over again women give that power away to the hospitals and it breaks my heart Mm -hmm. i've had you know lots of women that have had uh hospital births and last year i think or i don't know the year before whatever two women in a row had were having their sixth baby with me all other of, of their babies had been induced and epidurals in the hospital. <laughs> and then they decided, yeah, I want to do it. And I have never seen such empowered women afterwards going, holy, criminally, you know, this is what should be. One of them, is, her baby wasn't even a year old and she's calling me saying, I think I want another one. That was just such an amazing experience. I'm like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a great um, testimony when women are looking forward to birth again. Oh, isn't that great? I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've been a midwife now for 18 and a half years. Wow. So not even half of what you have, but um, I feel like I have this huge community around me Yeah, and I know that you must feel the same having been in the same area and touched Absolutely. so many lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. You go places, you see families that you cared for, you see the kids that you were babies, you know, growing up. Oh, yes. I just was at a a fruit stand the other day and this lady comes up to me and she's like, 
do you remember me? I'm like, yeah. Her her son, 19. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's and and a couple of years ago, I was honored to deliver the baby of a gentleman who I had delivered. That's like, amazing. Wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. So come yeah, full, come full circle. I'm getting ready to do a milestone, which will be five births for the same family. I wow. love it. Yeah, amazing. that's the good ones. Yeah, like we go way back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you have any messages or advice that you want to give to people that are already midwives of how to not burn out and how to stay in this profession for a long time? Yeah, I, unfortunately, even students that I've, you know, had in, in my care, if you will, um, I always say just watch your numbers, you know, you can't do six, seven births a month, month after month and stay sane or in this, you burn out. And I've seen so many of them that happen to that unfortunately seems to put a sour taste in their mouth about being a midwife. And it shouldn't be like that. You know, be accountable. This is not a picnic we're on, you know. Sometimes we're on a picnic, but <laughs> yeah. No, I think by myself in solo practice, my happy number is three or four a month. Yep. Yeah, that was a good, good number. Now that seems ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I I like doing three, but I like having an extra space available in case somebody is breached at the end and decides they want to breach birth that I can be available. Yes. Or maybe someone at 24 weeks, you know, finds out they have twins and they, you know, so I like to have that possibility, but I don't like to have four every single month. You mm -mm. Know? And when I also. I, was mm -hmm. I saw triplets. Oh, wow. And it was just so amazing to watch this baby, this mother's belly as these babies rearranged their bodies for being the second one and the third one coming out. It's, I mean, the body, nature wants to do its best. Oftentimes we just got to sit back and let it flow. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my joys being a midwife for many years now is, is uh, midwifing students. Oh. Uh, and preceptoring students and getting to see them blossom and grow and, you know, become midwives and just see like the impact that they're going to have their whole lives on other it's people as well. Amazing. Pretty amazing. You know, it's interesting how many of them go through precepting. I don't know if you've experienced this or not and come out the other end and either don't become licensed or get licensed and quite soon after leave the profession. Even though they've been with us, experienced the whole thing, they haven't had that load all to themselves. Yeah, it's different when you're a student versus out <laughs> there and carrying it all, you know, thinking, yeah. lying in bed, thinking about your clients you got and the problems they have and what's going to yeah. happen. And yeah, I changed that word problem to challenge. Challenge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What 
do they have or what challenges do I have in this journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did one of the previous podcasts I did was on burnout in midwives, burnout and resiliency. Um, We reviewed a research article that had been done about burnout in midwives. Um, And I also talked to uh, my former employee, Margot. I think you might've met her at my house, maybe. Yeah. Who um, lasted about three years as a midwife before she burned out. Yeah. She would come to my house. She'd forget her Doppler or something. And she'd stop by her here on her way to wherever to get help with instruments and stuff. Yeah, she was cool. But Margot held a fear. And I don't know if it's because she had not had babies herself it almost felt like it was um, a generational emotion that she held. I don't know. We talked in our, our discussion about her levels of anxiety. She tends to be a high anxiety person. And the research article that we were reviewing said that people with high anxiety tend to burn out quicker. Because instead of just thinking about, oh, this challenge could happen and maybe I do X, Y, Z, they ruminated on it, you know, you know, yeah. and I, I, I tend to be a person with low anxiety, so I can't speak for you, but you seem low anxiety as well. Cheers, man. <laughs> so I think just that having that kind of like personality trait makes it easier to be a midwife. I, yeah. I mean, and, and there's coping skills, you know, you just, you, some of them you learn as you go along. Mm-hmm. Um, Yoga and meditation are my drugs of choice. Mm-hmm. And if I have to, I go to the breath. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she has continued her work. She is the doula coordinator now for um, Healthy Start down in Martin County. Wow. So she is training tons and tons of doulas. So impacting lots of people's births down there in Martin County. So, so did she have her license? Did she? get her license or I know she got her license because she was how did that go is she working with she got her license but she's not working as a midwife now she's you know doing dual coordination yeah and lots of people take the midwifery knowledge they have and go and apply it in other ways some become you know professors or um you know teach other people so you know yeah but there, there is a difference in being in school and then being out. And um, I have a, a student now that's close to graduation and uh, we're in talks about her joining up and uh, trying to come up with a, a partner modelship that's sustainable and agreeable to both of us. Yeah. So cool. My daughter and I did that for about five years and um, she's no longer practicing, but it was interesting shifting, well, obviously being her mother, but taking that out of the equation and shifting from her being a student. I had her uh, precept with other midwives as well as myself, but um, it's just, there's a definite change in the dynamics of everything once you get that license. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say it takes maybe about three years for you to feel really comfortable and secure as a midwife. Um, and, you know, I, it obviously depends on the numbers and stuff that you're doing. But 
you know, it takes you a while to just to feel competent and handling all of the different complications that can come up. You know. <laughs> Have a cup of chamomile tea. <laughs> right. So what are some good practices that you do either before or after or during a birth that you think um, help you as a midwife? Other than like clinical care, what are things you yeah. do as self-care preparation? What what tips can you give for that? One of my biggest things I do before I enter a house that where a woman's in labor, I visualize an altar to the left of the door. And that's where I set my ego before I walk through that door. And I think that's the biggest thing. Because if we walk in with our egos, we're letting them, you know, lead the band, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think that's my biggest one, Angie. Just, you know, check yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is their birth, not yours. Exactly. We have all these skills and all this training, but it's not our birth. And we should not be there to assume anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's going to be a new experience every time even yeah. with that had five babies with you each birth was different oh yeah that's what I love about it you know mm -hmm. and women will come in and you know they've had challenges with the last baby and I'm like don't worry about it it's a new day and a new baby set all those fears and concerns aside because they don't come into this birth Mm hmm. Yeah. The new chance. Yes. Yeah. I like to on the way to the birth, uh, listening to some Native American chanting. There you go. To kind of like get me in like a primal kind of state. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Ground me. And then right before I get there, um, I try to say a little prayer. Mm hmm. And uh, I'm going to copyright the prayer. Um, one of my boyfriends tells me I need to copyright this prayer and make a lot of money. And uh, maybe it'll be on a bookmark, <laughs> prayers for midwives. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, just saying a prayer for the birth and for myself, for my student, for the baby. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, going in and uh, observing the energy. And I think, you know, good midwives, that's what they do first. They observe. They come and sit and observe. Yeah. Obviously, if, if a baby's sliding out, you need to bring some stuff with you. But um, <laughs> most of the time, we have quite a bit of time to hang out and observe. Yeah. Kind of that's, peacefully, that's peacefully integrate into the space. So can would you share your prayer with us? Sure, but um, nobody else can copyright it. Okay? Nobody else can copyright it. I'm not even picking up the pen. To... <laughs> okay, so um, I usually say something like birthing goddess. I pray that you be with this family and you give her the power and the strength that she needs to birth this baby. Let this baby come easily. Let this baby breathe easily, guide my hands, give me wisdom, that kind of thing. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, definitely getting me in the right frame of mind and, you yeah. know, I might end it with, I am your humble servant. Mm, 
Amen, sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what about after birth? I know, you know, if we've been up a while, first priority is to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sleep after a birth. No, okay. No, I get manic. What's your routine? What do you like to do? Anything and everything. I like to put on some crazy music and dance, go for a walk do something with my husband (laughs) just you know and go over the birth I usually um something comes to me I I write I don't know if it's poetry or not but I call it midwives musing and every birth has a energy that comes out of me afterwards that I write down put them on Facebook I think I you think told me. Go ahead. I have one of yours in my bathroom at my office. Can you believe it? <laughs> Honor. <laughs> Every time someone sits down on my toilet, they're reading your poetry. <laughs> and there's a beautiful image right beside it that I thought went with the poem. How cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I like to do that sometimes. I don't do it every time, but yes, yeah, sometimes things just really strike you and you're like, I need to remember this, you know, yeah. like that's the it. one, one birth I was at a couple years ago that, um, they were out on a farm and they were laboring through the night and the sun came up and it's so mm-hmm. peaceful until it wasn't because the cows started really given a moo like really loudly because they hadn't gotten fed right (laughs) or milked probably so they were upset and the woman's like you're gonna have to close those windows so we had to shut out the cow noise until she gave birth and her husband could go out there and feed them oh my god it's crazy the things that we have to remember Mm -hmm. yeah that's something I, i don't think i'll ever forget i guess I'm sure you have a lot of stories like that too. I was just thinking about one where um, this couple's friends had come in from a rainbow gathering and one of the gentlemen had a flute and the other one had a didgeridoo and the, is it a didgeridoo? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other one had this little drum. So they were outside in the back and the, their musical vibe was really soft and you know, calming and she's laboring and they can't see us or hear us or anything. And when that lady's energy picked up, their energy picked up and it was just so crazy. I mean, you could just feel it vibrating around the room. It was really cool. Nice. The whole thing about pictures, that also reminds me, you know, people would sometimes take pictures and then go to get them uh, processed and they wouldn't let, they wouldn't uh, process the pictures where the naked man and woman were touching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, those were the days, right? Someone else got to see all your pictures too. Yeah, right. Thank you. Now we got a whole profession of birth photographers. Yes. Yeah. Videos and documents. Have you heard about this thing called BirthTube? Oh, no. It's BirthTube. It's on Facebook. 
and it's a whole like page where people live stream their births. Wow. So there might, I don't know if there's 20,000 or so people in this group. So somebody who wants to do this sets up a camera and lets all the 20,000 people watch what's going on at their birth at wow. that lot live. That is crazy. And it's usually, it's always mostly home births because in the hospital, a lot of times they don't let you video. Oh. It certainly probably wouldn't let you live stream. thought <laughs> in the hospital. No. Yeah. So, but I think, I mean, for people who are willing to do that, that's awesome because it is raising awareness and showing people what birth looks like, you know, for some people that are obviously inhibited, that's not going to be good for them, but you know. Yeah, but there's even ways around that, you know, women that are really modest, they wear a tube top or something like that, or the angles from the hot, from the mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a great picture in my office and she's got a bikini top on and a sarong. Yeah, there you go. You can't see a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, the. I have mixed uh, feelings about this. I think they call it now free birth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's consequences anywhere in life, but when you're doing it all on your own <laughs> and you have no one there of any knowledge really, except what they've seen on YouTubes, or I think there's even a, a place that you can go to order uh, equipment if you want it. But we had one client, she had a home birth with us, beautiful birth. But I think the week or something before her sister had done unassisted by herself, her birth. And it was perfect. I got to talk to her when she came at the postpartum and just an amazing woman. But then fast and that one worked great you know she had a beautiful birth then fast forward and i have this woman comes in to start care pays her initial deposit takes her lab uh requisition with her the requisition to get her ultrasound and we fast forward uh to her next appointment and she doesn't show so i called her and she didn't answer her text finally sent her a letter saying, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I have to release you from my care. This is where you could go. Best of luck. Fast forward a few months later, I have a detective call me asking me about this woman. Apparently she had had a fetal demise with her birth. And um, for some, they wanted my record. So I, you know, only having done one birth with, or one appointment with her, but he told me that and my heart just ached for that woman. And, and now she has to go through legal repercussions. It's it just, I don't know. I mean, in saying all that, my husband, his second birth, they did a free birth. They're up in the mountains in Tennessee, no running water or electricity. God bless hippies. <laughs> and, um, you know, everything went great. But what if they don't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think once you get enough experience as a midwife and you've seen plenty of things, mm. we, you know, that probably 90% of births would go fine, you know? Yeah. And then, 
you know, probably 5% of births are going to need some good help from a midwife, whether that's help to get a baby breathing, help yeah. to get a stuck baby out, help yeah. to get the hemorrhage stopped so the woman's not bleeding too much, you know? And then there's uh, some births that just aren't happening and we got to transfer in for safety reasons. You know, so the majority of times with free births, things are going to go well, but you don't know the 10% of times that really would benefit from having some help. Um, And I think some people choose free birth because they don't have any options. Either the place they're living doesn't have any midwives or they can't afford the midwives. We need a lot more midwives, you know, so sometimes it's an access issue. Um, and then other times I think it's a trauma issue. They've had such horrible experiences or people close to them have that this is their, really their way of asserting control. Well, if I just don't have anyone there, then no one can do anything to me. Yeah. So I get that because I've seen that trauma and I've been there and I understand that. Exactly. Um, You know, so I'm not judging them, but I think it would be my wish that every woman could find a midwife who matched her and helped her to have her birth choices. I know, even knowing all that I know in my brain, I would not want to give birth without a midwife. (laughs) I would want someone there taking care of me because when you're in labor, you're not in your right mind. You're in your primal place. That's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be in your body and just feeling you're not supposed to be thinking and reasoning and hosting the midwife, you know, Right. Exactly. Yeah. That can slow things down. So, you know, it's easier to let go and just be in your primal body. If you know, someone's there, someone's watching, someone's monitoring. I don't got to worry about that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's a sticky wicket. Yeah. And um, a couple years ago, I had a good meeting with the local hospital. Margo and I went and explained what are midwives, what are licensed midwives, what are nurse midwives, how we work together, our training, all of that, right? The reasons we transfer, it was a great meeting. And I was trying to explain to them, I know you think that we're really extreme having these home births, but we're not the most extreme. The most extreme are the free birthers, you know, and they had not even heard of that or knew that was happening. That's (laughs) what's happening. So if you get rid of home birth midwives, that's still going to happen. You know, us home birth midwives, we're not the enemy. We're part of the team you know, taking care of women and bringing them to you if they need you, you know? So we're all actually on the same team trying to provide birth care to women. How were you received? That was the first meeting. So they, you know, needed that to sink in and marinate. But (laughs) since then, um, we've been having meetings every year. We've been doing surveys after our transfers um, surveys from the birthing families, surveys from the hospital staff, surveys from the home birth midwife. And we get together once a year to discuss. So we all have feedback on each other. Yes. So if the hospital provider says, well, you never give us this information, we can talk about it. If the birthing family says, well, you talk to me like this way, you know, everyone's getting feedback. And since that meeting, our relationship has improved a lot. Um, the way they're treating my transfers is amazing right now. Um, yeah, I actually prefer if we're going to transfer to go to our local hospital, Indian River, because I know that um, the staff, the nursing staff there is going to be treating us very well. So, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And that's the thing. We all have certain hospitals we know 
will receive us better than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, well, and you work a long time in a place and you, you know, you're, you're going to be showing up. So I felt like it's better to work on our relationship for the, you know, the betterment of our clients. Yeah. Um, and there actually was a really good conference that went on. I don't know if it was 10 years ago or whatever called a home birth summit. It was up in the Northeast. It involved uh, nurse midwives. Um, it involved OBs and pediatricians. And it was like, what is the ideal home birth transfer look like? And they came up with the set of guidelines of what they recommended. Um, and so I was able to like give that to the hospital and say, hey, this is the recommendations from all the peoples. Let's try to let's try to get there, you know. Awesome. I think, you know, for me, the most important is you take in your labs and your ultrasound information and give them their own copy right away. Um does it help matters? I don't know. Sometimes it does, but it, it makes me feel like I'm complying with what they need. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, um, you know, I usually call ahead to let them know we're coming. Absolutely. Um, that way they can anticipate us. They can let the provider know maybe they're going to pick a nurse that's a little friendlier or a little more natural, probably oh. not the grumpiest nurse, right? <laughs> <laughs> um so I like to call ahead and let them know we're coming and I fax the record so they can look at all of them before we get there and kind of give report to the charge nurse about what's going on um if there's a doc around or the midwife is around that's going to receive I would love to give report them but sometimes they're busy so that yeah. doesn't happen most of the time um and then transferring with the woman and you know they ask a million questions when she goes in for women so, if we have the chart there, we can say her LMP was this, her pre-pregnancy was this. Like, so she just doesn't have to get out of that feeling body and doesn't have to go so much into her brain, you know? Yeah. But it seems like the poor woman gets asked the same questions again and again. No, oh, usually don't... by the nurse, usually by the doctor, usually by the anesthesiologist. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Every, uh, every time I go to the hospital for a transfer, it reminds me about why I'm still doing this. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, we only get one transfer every other year. Probably. So it's not like, I don't feel like we're a familiar face. Mm -hmm. Um, Ember does doula work with the hospital so she'll go in and they you know see her and they know who she is but more often than not I'm just a new face to everybody you know whether yeah. the change shifts change whatever it is I'm glad it's like that though because yeah. I feel very welcomed mm -hmm. I I try to improve relationships i try to send thank you cards maybe a starbucks gift card or an einstein bagel gift card do you send um, it front desk or i send the, the bagels i'll try to send to the the nurse manager so she can bring them up you know get what the nurses want and bring them up for the nurses and talk about what the nurses did that i really liked and then right. i'll try to send one to the provider either the ob or the cnm that was there 
and give them like a Starbucks card and talk about the things that were great that they did. You are a good girl. <laughs> you know, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. You are, you are awesome. But you know, I did that for, I don't know. I did that for 10 years before it paid off. Yeah. It, was a, it was a while. It was not an immediate thing. When I first moved to this area, I wrote all of the uh, private practice doctors. I'm like, Hey, I'd love to meet up, love to be able to, you know, send patients to you and refer back and forth. Um, the response was not great. It was, well, I might be available if it's not an emergency or not the middle of the night. Mm, yeah. I'm um, like, so basically I can send a pregnant woman to you who's not in labor. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like a GYN, you know, for a colposcopy or something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I do need some help with emergencies in the middle of the night. Like that's part of my job. They um, don't want that was frustrating, but you know, luckily we have MTALA laws that protect us and you know, they have to treat any pregnant woman coming in. So that's, that's a good thing yeah. for community birth. That is good. Yeah. so much. Have you ever thought about quitting? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One time I was going to become a environmentally sensitive. Um, I'm so sensitive. I don't know what I was. I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, it comes and it goes and it's, it's so seldom that, thank you, I'm still here. You know, I, I think maybe three times in my career mm -hmm. as a midwife. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think about it probably every time after a really long marathon birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, I, we really need midwives. And so even though there's tons of jobs out there, I think I could do that would probably make comparable income for a lot less stress. They probably yeah. wouldn't be as rewarding and no. they're not as needed. Yeah. You know, really? like the skills that we have are needed. Yep. They're, they're sorely, sorely needed. And so I still stay at it, but yeah, I think you think of all the backup careers you could have had, you know? Oh yeah. Well, I I'm had not... already before I got to this one officially. So. Yeah. I've In thought about um, ballroom dancer instructor. Oh, chica. Um, a forest ranger. <laughs> I like that one. Leading people on like nature hikes, you know, yeah. or women's retreat up in the woods. Yes. Yeah, those would be yeah. nice. Or a travel guide all over the world. Oh, please take me. <laughs> yes. Those are my dream jobs. Now yeah. you have children. Now I've got children, so just that perspective, some doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we need more and more midwives, so you know I got to keep at this and keep training midwives, and you know keep choices available for women when they're trying to strip us of those choices all the time. Yeah, it's you know the whole thing with insurance and Medicaid. I mean, I think that's a big place that we get pushed back at mm -hmm. yeah just how the the normal care is 
um, doesn't want to reimburse you for spending longer no. and having more time and space available for your clients. Mm-mm. It rewards no. you for becoming like a factory. That's how you get rewarded there in that system. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, me neither. Okay, well, we're getting close to the end. Are there any final thoughts or things you want to say to the world out there? I just, um, I'm really thankful for this journey. And I hope that every woman that embarks on it um, feels the same. You know, come to midwifery with a heart of midwifery. Don't come to midwifery, oh, I'm going to make lots of money or whatever. Um, that's not it. You know, you've got to feel this to do it mm-hmm. and be able to be, I mean, for us to have the connection we have, you know, some people will go, what the heck's the CNM doing with an LM? Well, you know what? We have common ground and yeah. I know that I can call you and you know, you can call me and we're here for each other. Yeah. And I think that that's one thing that will help midwifery survive is working on that community, you know, and building bridges, building relationships, supporting each other, having peer reviews together and not tearing each other down. Um, And so that's one thing I'm really appreciative about the midwives that I have in my community. It makes you feel better in practice. Like, oh, if I did have two births going on at once, I know I could probably find someone to help out. Yep. That's it right there. We have each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm so excited to get your voice out there on YouTube and on podcast and let everyone see the glorious Pam Peach. Thank you, Angie, for all you do. You go above and beyond anything I could even imagine doing. And I just, I don't know. I applaud you for it because that's what we need to make this profession more open and allowing other midwives to happen because yeah. people like you sister well we're all we're all in this together